12. As you'll see, the, the title of the sermon is Only God Can Judge Me. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Only God can judge me. Well, who are you to judge me? Only God can judge me. Uh, it's a very popular sentiment. I know there, there's a, a rap song by that title that only God can judge me. So what does it mean? Is, is it true? It is true, but uh, as we'll see and as we'll get to, I think that's kind of more of a terrifying thing than an escape from judgment. So as we look at this, um, one of the, the comments that came up, one of the best quotes I've heard about that is, if only God can judge you, how do you plan to beat the case? Uh, if only God can judge you, how are you going to find yourself as innocent in that situation? So with that, let's go ahead and look at James chapter 4, 11 through 12. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who, who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have to gather together. I pray that you will be with us during this time. You'll help us to examine our hearts, examine our intentions, examine the way that we interact with others. God, I pray that you would be with us today. You would make clear what your expectations of us are and make clear whether or not we are following you faithfully. I pray that you will show us how to follow you in obedience. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as you can see, uh, this passage we're dealing with today is quite short. Sometimes when you deal with Scripture, there are pieces that don't fit quite as perfectly with one passage or another. Because I could have put this with last week's sermon, but then we would have been here for another 30 to 40 minutes. And I didn't think that was the right way to do it. And then if you want to lump this with what comes after, it really is the next chapter. And I don't think that's a fair way to treat that passage either. So we're going to look at these passage, this passage by itself. And the first thing that we see in this passage is that speaking evil is against God's law. Speaking evil is against God's law. As believers, we are called to obey God's law, which entails not speaking evil against one another. So we look at the first part of verse 11. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. And if you're thinking, you may in your head already, didn't we hear this sermon a couple weeks ago? It is very reminiscent of taming the tongue. But we're going to get into a more specific part of this. So what is criticism in this passage? Because I don't know about you, but I hear that. That seems like a very broad statement. Can't criticize one another? What do you think of when you think of criticism? What comes to your mind? We'll get to that in a second. Because this is important that you note what Bible translations you use and that you don't heavily rely on only one translation. Because if you read this and you're using the Christian Standard Bible, which is what I'm using right now, and you only read this and you went on your understanding of what criticism means you might come off with a, a wrong understanding of what this passage is saying. Okay, so the, the word that we see here is kataleleo. And if you look at the, the that's what's translated as criticism. If you look at the, what that word means, it means to speak ill of, speak degradingly of, speak evil, defame, and slander. And that word is what the Bible, the Christian Standard Bible, translated as criticism. And I think that criticism can mean that. 
right? You can criticize someone and it be very derogatory, very uh, slanderous, defamatory. That is criticism. But at the same time, when I think of criticism, I tend to think of, of saying how someone could have done something better, right? We ever heard the phrase of, oh, that person doesn't handle criticism well. What does that mean? It means that when they're instructed of how they could do better, they don't handle it very well. Is that what this is talking about? Is it saying, you know, I think that you left the cookies in a little too long today. That's criticism, as we define criticism. Is that what this is talking about? I think you should drive more carefully. Is that what this passage is talking about? No, this passage is not talking about that kind of criticism. See, the same word in, in this passage that the CSB says is, is criticism, it also says is defames. It's the same word, but they translated it very differently. So the ESV translates the word in this way. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. This is a much more accurate translation of this verse in this passage. So here's what this is all a side note that I want you to say is that if you're reading a passage, you're reading a verse, and you, you look at it and it seems to mean something, and you're a little confused if it means that, one of the best ways you can do it, one of the best ways you can make sure that you're understanding properly is to read various translations and, and to read various ideas. What does is, what is, what is this b- version of the Bible say? What does this version of the Bible say? How are they handling this passage? Because they're all dealing with the same or very similar original text, and they're trying to come to a conclusion. And in this one, I think that the ESV did a better job, a more accurate, gives a better framework of what we should be doing. So criticism, or catalileo, is speaking evil about one another or slandering. More specifically, this command relates to a command in the Old Testament. You'll see this so often in the Bibles. You'll see a a commandment that Jesus makes, or or Paul, or James, or any writer of the New Testament. They'll say something, and they'll they'll say it is authoritative. Don't speak evil about one another. Was this a new command? No. It's referencing a very old command, Leviticus 19.16. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. So in Leviticus 19.16, we see this command first stated. Don't go around spreading slander among your people. Don't jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. So this is the same command, or the same heart of the command we see in James. Do not speak evil or slander among your people. So this word in in the Old Testament is rakil, and it's concerned with slander and gossip. So slander being public speech to hurt someone and gossip being private speech to hurt someone. And that's what I I want you to see here. This evil speech we're talking about has the intention of hurting someone. When you slander, when we typically think of slander, it's usually untrue, right? A lie, spreading a lie. But this passage doesn't really, these, these verses, these passages don't really seem to indicate that it has to be untrue. It's whether you're seeking to hurt someone. Both of these verses carry the understanding of information that is harmful, regardless of whether it's true or not. Speaking evil about one another. Because you can spread true information with bad intentions. We see that all the time in tabloids, right? Where stories are published. Sometimes they're true, sometimes they're not. But what's the intention? To gain attention for the person spreading it and to harm the reputation of the one they're talking about. So this is what we're talking about. Don't speak evil about one another. Because the intention of your heart is what matters. Because at the end of verse 16 in Leviticus, it says, do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I'm the Lord. If you speak evil 
about your brother or sister, you are endangering their life. Now, maybe not at threat of death, but what happens when you, when you spread false information, you spread harmful information? It's going to affect their life. It's going to damage their reputation. It's going to affect the way that they deal with others. I think I've shared this before, but I remember very specifically an instance where I was shared, information was shared with me. It was in private. This wasn't public, but it was shared with me. And it changed the way I viewed another person. And it was years later before I realized that those things weren't true, or at least not all entirely. And I had to repent of that in my life for listening to harmful speech about someone that changed the way I interacted with them. So what you say, other people hear, and they take that in. If someone walks in and they don't know anybody, they don't know a person, you share some harmful information, you share whether it's true or untrue, you are harming that person. You're harming, you're tearing them down. That's what the command is here. Do not tear one another down. What's the intention of your heart? Is it to tear down? We see the opposite commanded in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. So if speaking evil and tearing one another down is breaking God's command, encouraging and building one another up is fulfilling God's command. I think that it works very well that this follows what we talked about last week, the very last verse of last week's sermon, James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. We talked about this idea of humbling, being lowering ourselves, lowering ourselves before God, submitting to God. And what's the very next thing we see? that we don't tear each other down. What are we supposed to do? To build each other up. And so as we each individually humble ourselves, we're called to build one another up. The Lord will exalt us. He'll raise us up, but we're called to help sanctify to this process of building each other up in love. So we voluntarily humble ourselves and we seek to build up one another to, to what God intends us to be. And again, it's the intention of your heart that matters. In your interactions with others, are you building up or are you tearing down? I've heard the illustration before that when there's a fire going on, right? maybe you walk into a group and there's some, some gossip happening. You can either pour water on that fire and put out the gossip, find a way to, to change the subject, to get off of this idea, or you can pour gasoline. Oh, do you know what I heard? And add to what's happening. What is your intention? Are you... Is your intention to help people be more than they currently are for the Lord? Or to leave them as less, as the, less than they are when you found them? Think about that. If you go separate ways, and if you've lived long enough, it's, it's mind-boggling to me how many people that I've met and had relationships with and friendships with that I don't speak to any longer. That's the nature of life. Sometimes people are in your life for only a period of time. And that doesn't mean that there was hurt or any negative in the situation. But sometimes... You have relationships that, that are no longer at least active and primary in your life. So here's the question. If a relationship were to end, if you were to no longer, if a person were to move away, would that person be better for having known you? Have you built them up? Or have you torn them down through the way that you've interacted with them? This is what this means. What's our intention? To leave people better or worse than we found them. Correct intentions will lead to correct interactions. If, you, if your goal is to follow God and to honor God in what you do, you will not speak evil of someone. Because if you're, if you're, speaking, if you're seeking to build that person up, to help them be more than they are, you're not going to talk evil about them, to their face or behind their back. 
We see in this really the, the fullness in the heart of the second commandment, right? The second great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And do you know what? We see that commandment in this passage in Leviticus. Leviticus 19.18 Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So we are called to obey God's law. Speaking evil about one another is breaking God's law. We're called to build one another up, not to tear them down, to love our neighbor as ourself. And because this is what our purpose is, we see that speaking evil distorts our purpose. When we speak evil about one another, it distorts our purpose. Our purpose is to be a doer of the law and not a judge of others. So the second part of verse 11, 411, anyone who defames or judges a believer, a fellow believer, defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. We have some more defining that we need to do to gain a proper understanding of this passage. So defame is the same word we've been dealing with before, speaking evil. But what does it mean to judge? <coughs> right, that sentiment, only God can judge me. What do people usually mean by that? They pretty much mean don't criticize me. Right? Don't talk about what I'm doing. Don't look at what I'm doing. Don't examine my life. Don't say anything about the way I live. You have no right. Only God can judge me. Is that what this passage means? Does it mean that we have no right to speak into the lives of fellow believers? What are we supposed to do? What does this mean when it says to not judge one another? The word for judgment gives indication of condemnation of the person. So it talks about don't judge others, don't condemn others, don't pass judgment upon. Don't judge them as though you are the judge. And we see a difference between judging actions, condemning actions, and condemning people. Right? In Leviticus, this, is, this whole passage parallels it perfectly. Leviticus 19.17 Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly, and you will not incur guilt because of him. Okay, so we see this. Don't speak evil about your brother. Instead, rebuke him directly. So how does this work? Is that judging? Is that speaking evil? Is that judging? No. The most important determining factor that we need to know if we interact with others appropriately is the standard that we're using. What standard are you using when you approach someone with their wrongdoing? Right, what does it mean to judge? So what standard are you using? This passage makes clear that we can have something to say about what people do. It is not judging to go to a fellow believer and to tell them what they are doing is wrong. It tells us to rebuke them directly. doesn't mean go talk about what they're doing. That's the defamation part. Go directly and rebuke. The New Testament is clear that we are to rebuke and teach and exhort one another for the good of the believer and for the good of the church. But what we always see in these interactions, what we always see in these commands, is that God's Word is the standard by which we should judge our actions and the actions of others. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. We love this verse. All Scripture is inspired by God. Right? We love to know that the Bible is God's Word. Why? It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What does this look like in practice? I don't know if you remember, but there used to be a time where uh, various late-night hosts or different people would have pastors on 
They'd ask them questions, and usually they'd try to ask the really hard questions, the, the gotcha questions that would really define where they, on, they stood on different issues. And if you've seen any of these interviews, there were certain pastors that were a little bit uh, wishy-washy in their answers. They didn't want to give a direct answer. They didn't want to take a stance on a certain hard topic, whatever it may be. What do they usually stand on? Well, I think, well, I believe, you know, what I think is, it's a very bad place to stand. There's, there's other pastors that take very clear, definite stances, speak boldly. Why? Because when they're asked these questions, the Bible says, what is their authority? God's authority, not their own. They don't look to their own authority as a pastor, as a person that, that teaches others, that has a following, that maybe they have a large church. They don't claim that authority. That's what pride will do to us, is that we'll claim our own authority. They claim the authority of God. <coughs> and so when we rebuke one another, we should do so by the authority of God's Word. So taking this very example, speaking evil of others, if you were to talk to somebody that you knew was dealing with this, should you talk to them? Yes. The Bible is clear. We should rebuke and exhort one another, fellow believers. What you shouldn't say. I've noticed you've been saying things that are... <coughs> I've noticed you've been saying some bad things about people lately, and I don't think that's right. Who's the authority there? What authority are you approaching them on? Your own. Your own judgment. Your own thoughts of their actions. Well, why do you know better than me? Only God can judge me. Okay, well, let's share what God's Word says. I've noticed you've been saying some bad things about people lately, and you know that James 4.11 says we shouldn't speak evil about one another. <coughs> this is how we correct and rebuke one another through the authority of God's Word. We don't speak evil. That's not speaking evil. That's correcting and rebuking to, to build them up. Because what's the purpose? What's the intention? To build them up, to help them to follow Christ more faithfully. Not to tear them down. Not to make them feel bad about who they are. They're going to feel bad because they've done something wrong. But the, the grace is the opportunity to correct and go the right direction. You saying they shouldn't be doing something versus God saying they shouldn't be do, doing something. Another problem that we face arises when we judge someone or something in a way that God has not made clear. If we speak in a way we shouldn't about others, we break God's law. If we judge others by our own authority, we deny the authority of God. So let me explain. So this is what this second part is talking about. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Because slandering and defaming and speaking evil against the fellow believers against God's law, when we proceed to do that, we are slandering God's law by not obeying it. So when God says to do something, and we do the other thing, what are we really saying? You're wrong. I know better. <clears throat> and so when the law tells us, don't speak evil about each other, and then we proceed to speak evil about one another, do you know what we're saying to the law? You're wrong. You're evil. I know better. I've got it right. I've, I've got the better understanding of how to live and to interact. So what this is saying, when you slander a fellow believer, what you really do is you slander the law. You say God's law is not perfect. It's not just. I know better. I can do better. Now, you maybe don't actually say that, but your actions say that. When we judge others by our authority, <coughs> we judge God's law. 
we say that we disagree with God's law. We think about the garden. Eat from any tree, but just don't eat from the tree in the center of the garden. Did God really say? Did God really say that? Are you going to trust what God said? When we go beyond what God says or we change what God says, we put ourselves as judge. We put ourselves as the arbiter of what is right. We're saying we know better than God. We are stepping into the place of God. We have to know our role as we live our life as as Christians. We are called to be doers of of the Word, not authors of the Word and not judges. It's vital that we understand the role we play in life. If you don't do your job... If you don't do the roles you have assigned in your life, everyone's going to suffer, right? You all have roles and jobs and responsibilities you do, whatever capacity it is. And if you don't do those things, someone's going to suffer. I want to show you a, a picture of a football play. Does anyone look at this and just instantly you're confused about what's going on? I know that can be overwhelming, but what you see here is everyone's responsibility. All those circles represent people on the offense, and they all have a job. Those arrows are where they're supposed to go, and it's showing who they're supposed to block. And if everyone's successful, what's going to happen? You're going to have a successful play, but if one person fails, if one person steps out of line, they forget their purpose, they they do the wrong thing, everyone's going to suffer. And so when we think about what we're supposed to do, our job, our role is to be obedient to God. It is most important that we seek to be obedient to God. Our concern should be with fulfilling the Word of God, not with what others are doing. 1 John 5, 2-3 says this, This is how we know that, that we love God's children, when we love God and obey His commands. For this is what it is to love God, to keep His commands. And His commands are not a burden. It's very simple. How, how do I follow Christ? What does it mean to follow Christ? I just don't know what God wants me to do with my life. This is what it means to love God. Keep His commands. That doesn't earn you salvation. That doesn't give you a better status with God. But if you love Him, Jesus said that, if you love me, keep my commands. Our love for God is shown through our obedience to what He tells us to do. Not by stepping into His place and and setting up what we think should be. How many times have you heard that? Well, I know the Bible says this, but I really just don't think that's how things work today. We step into the place of God. And this is what we see with any time we deny God's Word. And when we speak evil, really we deny God's authority. Speaking evil denies God's authority. God is the judge of the world. There is no other. So that statement, only God can judge me, is true. Regardless of what you say about me, regardless of what I say about you, there's one person that will determine your guilt or innocence. That person is God. We can't take His place. James 4.12, For there is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? God is the only lawgiver. Why? He is righteous and we are not. How can we establish and judge the law if we don't follow the law ourselves. If we aren't righteous, how can we be the judge? It is from Him that we have a standard of what is right and wrong. This is one of the... We talked about apologetics a few Wednesdays ago. One of the the greatest explanations, one of the greatest things to to talk about with a person who believes we're here for no purpose on accident, 
from nothing, why is there anything such as right and wrong? Why do we know what is right and wrong? Why even as children, when you do something, you disobey your parent, when you, when you break the law, when, you, when something happens and you do the wrong thing, why do you know? Because we all have written within us the image of God, and we know right and wrong. We know there's right and wrong because He has authored it. He's written it all throughout the way we live. And it's because of Him we have an understanding of what morality is at all. And we are mistaken when we think we have grounds to stand upon in judging right and wrong. Why does God do this? Why does God do that? You know what that's like? That's like the person that, that sits at home on a Sunday afternoon after church, kick their feet up, and they yell at the TV because all the players on the screen are doing the wrong thing. Because they know better than those coaches. They know better than those players. How much sillier is it for us to look at the God of the universe who is infinitely righteous and perfect and to say, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know right and wrong. No, He is righteous and we are not. We have no room to question and to judge the ways of God. He's far beyond our comprehension. And the further we seek to know Him, the more you know who God is, the more you realize His goodness. The more you realize the ways that He works and the grace that He has given. So God is the only one who's righteous and He is the only judge. He's the only one who's in the place to pass judgment. When we pass judgment upon one another because of our thoughts and expectations, we put ourselves in His place. And that's a very dangerous place. <clears throat> and this is something that David knew very well. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, David is being hunted by Saul. Hunted. And he's in a cave. And he has the opportunity. His men say, here's Saul, go, go kill him. You have the opportunity. And he goes up and instead he cuts a piece of his cloak off. He says, I can't, I can't take the place of God. So here's what he says. He goes to Saul and he tells him, look, I could have killed you. Here's your piece of your garment. May the Lord judge. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord take vengeance on you for me, but my hand will never be against you. Who is the judge? God is the judge. Who is the one that pays for righteousness? Who is the one who punishes for sin? God is the judge. The Lord is the one who judges. This role is exclusively for Him. It's not a place we can step into. It's not something that we can put on and do. Right, there are some things we do on behalf of God. When we go and we share our faith, Paul says we are ambassadors for God. God making His appeal through us. Right When we share the gospel. That's where we're supposed to do that on behalf of God. Do you know what God never tells us to do? He says it's off limits for us. Passing judgment on people. Condemning people. That's his job. Romans 12, 19 says, Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. We have been given great grace, and we must show great grace as doers of the law rather than judges. We do what it says. Because the reality is, there will be judgment. There will be judgment. There are people that live their life and they go through life as though no, they will never have to account for the things they do. Every person 
who's ever lived, every person who, who will ever live, will one day stand before God and have to give account for what they've done, the things they've done in their life. The righteous judge will judge the world. And what does the Bible say about how we fare in this situation? Romans 3.20 says this, For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. We see God's Word, right? Let's just look at today. Don't speak evil about one another. You ever done that? I think we probably all have at some point or another. been frustrated. We've been mad. We've been angry. We went to somebody and said, you know what so-and-so did to me? I can't stand them. Spoke evil. Broke God's law. And we're guilty because of that. So what, is, what does it say? Because we're guilty, what does it say happens? Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about that word, wages. What is wages? Right? When you go to your job and you work all week long, maybe it's two weeks, however you get paid, you get paid your wages. Wages earned, right? That's what it says on your paycheck. The wages we earn... By our actions, death. If we stand before God on our own merit, what, here's what you've earned. It's death because of what we've done, because of the way we've broken God's law, because we're not righteous, we're not good enough. We can't earn it. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We didn't do anything to, to earn this. Romans 5, 8, for a while, but God proved His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how are we saved? How do we, earn, how do we gain this salvation that's freely given to us? How do we come into right relationship with God? How can we be reconciled? Romans 10, 9-13. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? He's in charge. Jesus is Lord. He is the judge. He is the righteous one. He is in charge. I am not. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes on Him will not be put to shame. Since there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. I didn't think I was going to share this today, but I'm going to, at least in part. I'll probably share a little bit more on Wednesday. That was what my plan was. But this Thursday, um, I had someone knock on my door at 1040 at night, where they rang my doorbell. And it was a young woman. And I answered the ring, talked to them through the device, and they were in not a very good situation. And after about 15 minutes, I ended up stepping outside to talk to them further um, about what was going on and really needed to get some other people involved, but they really didn't want that to happen. And so we're talking there, and this, this, this woman was, was going through a lot of things. Um, and so I asked her if, if she knew who Christ was. You have to understand that she'd made a lot of mistakes in her life, currently was making mistakes in her life, 
um, told me at one point that she had made a deal with the devil to spare her son when he was going through something, to, to take her and to spare him. But what does this say here? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's what I told you. The blood of Jesus is more powerful than whatever deal you think you made. The blood of Jesus is more powerful than whatever you've done in your life that think, because she said that, God hates me. He doesn't love me. He does. He does love you. And I got to talk to her and share this with her. And she prayed this. She believed in her heart. She proclaimed Christ as Lord. And I believe that she was saved that night. I want to ask that you pray for her because she did not want to be helped in, in the way of getting out immediately. And, and I, my prayer is that she went to one of our sister churches that was very close by. But I, I share this with you to tell you that whoever you interact with, whatever they may be doing, whatever they may have been done, because she's not even from here. She came here because she was doing bad things. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if that's you this morning, you've lived your life and you're trying, you're at church this morning because you're trying to be good enough. You're trying to live a life to fulfill God's law so that maybe He'll forgive you for what you've done. He'll, he'll forgive you for your sins. It's not going to work. For by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Or maybe you have people in your life. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's people that, that you interact with and they are so far into their sin that you think there's no hope for them. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you believe that this morning? That, that God loves you so much, that He loves anyone you interact with so much that He died for them while they were sinners, while they're lost in their sin. And that if you'll share the gospel with them, and if they respond, they will be saved. So as we close today, I want you to consider these things. If you are a believer this morning, if you are a person who has surrendered your life to Christ, you have believed that Jesus Christ died for your sins and God raised Him from the dead, confessed Him as Lord, does the way you speak to and about others reflect that you have believed in Christ? Are you building others up or are you tearing them down? And in your life, what authority do you turn to? Do you live your life as though you are the authority, as though you are Lord of your life? I don't like what you're doing. I don't think you should do that. Or do you point to God as your authority in your life? Who is the authority in your life? What authority do you turn to, God's or your own? Are you actively trying to share the good news of Jesus with others? Because judgment is coming. There will be a judgment day. And I know there's people that, that, don't, there's, there's people that feel like pastors can abuse that. I, I do think at times the way it can be presented could be a little manipulative. But it's true. There is a day when you will stand before God, and if you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you've not trusted in Him for salvation, you'll be condemned because of your sin. 
and everyone you interact with that doesn't accept Christ as their Savior, there's only one way to be made right before God, and that's through the blood of Jesus. If they haven't, they will be condemned before God. They already stand condemned, the Bible says. And so if you believe this, are you actively trying to share the good news of Jesus with others? Judgment is coming. Are you preparing people? Because I'll I tell you, I almost didn't answer that ring. I was about to take a shower, so it took me a minute, because I, I wanted to make sure that I was presentable. But I'm glad that I did. And the question I have for you today is, are you prepared? Have you made the decision to follow Christ in your life? Has your sin been paid for? We talked in Sunday school this morning about forgiving one another and the example of how the, the man was forgiven. A, we, we calculated it was about $7 billion debt and went after someone for about a $600 debt. The debt that you can't pay, the sin in your life, has it been paid for? It has been, but have you accepted the gift of what Jesus has done for you? Because if you've not done what we've talked about, if you've never trusted in Jesus, proclaim that. Have you followed up in baptism and obedience? We want to obey what God says. That we, we, I believe the Bible teaches very clearly that if we believe, we want to be obedient in baptism and follow salvation. Have you been obedient in surrendering your life to Christ? Following Him in baptism? What is God calling you to do today? And so as Becky comes and we have this time of prayer, I want to challenge you, invite you, so we call this the invitation, invite you to deal with what God is calling you to do in your life. So what is that for you this morning? Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the salvation that is freely given through Jesus. We thank you that no matter how many things we've said evil about one another, when we step into your place, when we judge others, when we do these things we shouldn't do, that there is grace to be given. And God, I pray that you would empower us through the Holy Spirit to be obedient to you, to, to build one another up, not to tear down. To remember our rightful place as doers of, of the law and not judges. That you would help us to be obedient to you. God, I just pray that you would be with us today. Help us to be obedient in how you're calling us to move right now. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.